the first Sunday of 2014. Can you believe it? First Sunday of 2014. Happy New Year. Now, I hope that you all had a great Christmas, and now you're looking forward to what this new year is going to bring. And I'm sure that many of you made some resolutions. And I'm sure that some of you have probably already broken some of those resolutions. This past week, I was online, and I came across a site that listed the, the most common resolutions. Anybody have I, an idea what the number one resolution? Yeah, scream it out, man. What is it? Lose weight, that is it, that was the most common New Year's resolution, lose weight, quit smoking, quit drinking so much alcohol, get a new job, get more education, become more fit, eat more healthy, all some very common New Year's resolutions. I also came across some not so common New Year's resolutions, and here they are. Just for today, I will not sit in my living room all day in my nightdress. Instead, I will move my computer into the bedroom. I just want you to know that that is not mine. I gave up my nightdress a long time ago. Next, I will no longer waste my time reliving the past. Instead, I will spend it worrying about the future. I will not bore my boss with the same excuse for taking leaves. I will think of some more excuses. I love this one. I will do less laundry and use more deodorant. <laughs> and then finally, I will avoid taking a bath whenever possible and conserve more water. It is good to be green. We should all be green. The point of this, the point of resolutions and these types of resolutions is that this is the time of year when many of us evaluate our lives. Many of us ask questions about what we are doing and who we are, and we, and we seek to make some changes. And we do that because we desire to be something more, to be better. We desire deep down inside to become more mature, to grow. We desire substantive and formulative change that impacts every area of our lives. The problem is, is that all too often, too many times, we look at how the world values change, and we look at changes that the world makes, like eating healthy, losing weight, quitting smoking, eliminating debt, all good things. Maybe even some of you, have God has asked you to do those things this year. But that is not the substantive and formative type change that will affect every area of your life. So as we begin together 2014, I believe that God has for each one of us, for you and for me, a change that will affect every area of our life. A change that is substantive and formative and will make a big difference for each of us in 2014. God has a goal for you and for me this year. God has for us a resolution to take into 2014. But before we open his word and get to that, let's pray and ask for him to be present and for him to speak to us. Our gracious heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you have brought us to this place 
this morning to worship you in spite of the snow, in spite of everything that's going on outside. We are here right now to hear from you. So I pray, Lord, that you will speak to us. And I pray that we will hear what you have to say to each one of us this morning. Lord, we ask this of you in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2014, God wants you to be who you are. Did you hear what I said? In 2014, God wants you to be who you are. Now take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, primarily in verses 14 through 16, found on page 980 in the Bible that the church provides. In the balcony, it's in, underneath you in the seat. Down here on the main floor, it's in front of you. Now, if, as you're turning there, if you'll remember, in the first 12 verses of 1 Peter, Peter has told each one of us as followers of Jesus Christ that we are God's elect, we are his obedient children, and we are called to live our lives for him. And each of us who are followers of Jesus Christ have an inheritance awaiting us that will never spoil, perish, or fade. And now Peter, in verse 13, transitions and he is now beginning to call us to live up to who we are. He wants each and every one of us to be who we are. And now he's going to get more specific about what that means. I'll begin reading in verse 13. Follow with me. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Now, verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now there is a New Year's resolution. God says, be holy because I am holy. God wants each one of us to be holy. He commands it of us. We are all God's children. And as God's children, we already are holy. So Peter is saying us, just be who you are. Now that is a fundamental and substantive change that will affect every area of our lives. Be holy as God is holy. But right here at the beginning, right up front, we need to be honest with each other. This is not an easy command. It's a difficult command. And it's not only a difficult command, it's something that's hard for us to talk about. It's something that honestly, if I'm honest with you, it's hard for me to talk about. There's other things as followers of Jesus that we are really comfortable talking about. We're comfortable talking about loving and caring for others. We're comfortable talking about serving others. Good things but here God is calling us, he's commanding us to be holy, something that we aren't so comfortable talking about. Because sometimes we, well, we look down inside of ourselves and we're not sure what we're going to find. And sometimes we wonder even if, yeah, the command's out there, but am I even capable of being holy or am I just going to come off like a hypocrite? And we're also, if we're honest, we're worried about what other people are going to think. 
We live in a world that is not so concerned about being holy or holiness. In fact, for most people who are not Christians, holiness is not even on their radar. And unfortunately, for some Christians, holiness is not even on their radar. So we're worried what people will think about us. We're worried that people will think that we think that we're better than them. We're worried that people will think that we think that we're self-righteous. We're worried that others will think that we think that we're holier than thou, that we're holier than I get all of that. And it is difficult, but God desires our holiness. God is much more concerned with who we are rather than where we are. God is much more concerned with who we are on the inside in comparison to what we do on the outside. But having said that, who we are on the inside determines what we do on the outside. God is concerned with our holiness. He is concerned with who we are and he is concerned with what we do because of who we are. And so he says, be holy as I am holy. J.C. Ryle a bishop from uh, Liverpool, England in the 19th century. This is what he says about holiness. Look at, listen to this. We must be holy because this is one grand end and purpose for which Christ came into the world. Jesus is a complete savior. He does not merely take away the guilt of a believer's sin. He does more. He breaks its power. And look at Oswald Chambers. He writes this. Oswald Chambers is the writer of the devotional, My Utmost for His Highest. Look at what he writes about holiness. Holiness, not happiness, is the chief end of man. And look what it says in Hebrews. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Look at this phrase. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. This is pretty serious stuff. God desires, God commands that you and me are holy people, that we represent and demonstrate God's character. But holiness can be a confusing topic. And not only can it be a confusing topic, the idea of being holy is an, to me, it is an overwhelming type of command. So this morning we're going to ask in answer three questions. The first question that we're going to look at is this. What does God's holiness look like? What does God's holiness look like? Because before we can understand what it means for us to be holy, we have to know what it looks like that God is holy. So first question, what does God's holiness look like? Second question, what does it look like for us to be holy? What does it look like for us to be holy? And then the third question how can we be holy? What do we need to do to be holy? Three questions. So let's look first at God's holiness. What does it mean that God is holy? Well, let's look back again at verse 15. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. First and foremost, God is holy. There are many examples in different passages throughout the Bible that help us understand or help us explain or help us see what God's holiness looks like. There's one that stands out to me, and that's found in Isaiah 6. So I'd like you to turn back to Isaiah 6. In the church Bible, 
It's found on page 557, Isaiah chapter 6. And I'll give you a little background on what's happening here. In Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah has a face-to-face meeting with the living God. And this happened, this face-to-face meeting happens early in Isaiah's ministry. It happens in the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah was the, was the king of Judah. And King Uzziah had a heart for God. But when he dies, the kingdom is plunged into turmoil and people are starting to wonder whether they are going to return to idolatry or whether they are going to continue to follow the living God. And this is the context in which Isaiah has his face-to-face meeting with the living God. Isaiah 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When Isaiah comes face to face with the living God, he cries out, woe to me, I am ruined. When Isaiah comes face to face with the living God, he does not run up to God and give him a hug. He falls on his knees and he cries, woe to me, I am ruined. Why? Because he comes face to face with absolute perfection. And when he comes face to face with absolute perfection, Isaiah recognizes his uncleanliness and he recognizes his sin. Now think about this. This is Isaiah. This is one of the good guys. This is a godly man. This is a prophet of God. This is a man who is much, much, much more moral than the rest of his contemporaries. And when he comes face to face with the living God, he falls down and he says, woe to me. This word holy includes the idea of being set apart, of being different, of being completely other. And also wrapped up in it is the notion of perfect purity. And when Isaiah comes face to face with the living God, he cannot handle it. God's holiness pervades his entire being. No other attribute of God is elevated to the third degree. Nowhere in the Bible does it say eternal, eternal, eternal or love, 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 or mercy, mercy, mercy. But here it does say, the Lord God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And his holiness shapes all of his other attributes. His love is a holy love. His mercy is, is a holy mercy. 
And even his anger and his wrath are holy anger and holy wrath. The holiness of God is the most fundamental and central attribute of God. It refers to the reality that God is utterly unique and in a class by himself. That is his set-apartness. Nothing compares to him. There is no other creator. There is no other sustainer. There is no other ultimate judge of good and evil. God is completely different, completely unequaled, unrivaled, underived, absolute in being in perfection, no beginning and no end, and no room for improvement because God is holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then Peter says to you and to me, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. God is telling us to be holy. It's a pretty high standard, isn't it? I don't know about for you, but for me, it's overwhelming. It makes me want to say, woe is me. I am ruined. What does it look like for us to be holy? Does it mean we're to walk around with like a halo kind of floating over our head and a shining beam of light on us? Should we walk around with our hands clasped like priests in old movies and call everybody my son or my daughter? Should I wear a cross around my neck? Should I carry my Bible all the time? Should I pray out loud? Should I wear one of those t-shirts with a religious slogan on it? Should I get a tattoo of a cross on my arm? If I had bigger pipes, I might do that. <laughs> what does it mean for us to be holy? Our text helps us understand what it means for us to be holy. Here in verse 16, Peter is quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting from Leviticus 11.44 and Leviticus 19.2 where God commands the people of Israel. God commands the people of Israel, his called, set-apart people to be holy like him. When God calls his people Israel to be holy in Leviticus 11 and 19, he was instructing them to be distinct, to be different than the nations around them by observing a set of standards, a set of rules, a set of laws that would set them apart and would govern their lives. Israel is God's chosen nation and God has set them apart from other people groups. And now right here, God gives to you and to me as followers of Jesus the same command. Be holy. As followers of Jesus, we need to be set apart. We need to be different than the world. This means that we need to be distinct from what happens out there. We need to be lived by God's standards and not the world's standards. It's the idea of being in the world, but not of the world. We are, as followers of Jesus, different and set apart. But practically, what does that look like? What does it mean, really, to be holy? 
It's God saying, be like me. God's instruction for you to be holy, God's instruction for me to be holy is God saying to us, be like me. Have the character that I have. Think the things that I think. Do the things that I do. God is saying, be like me. Again, a quote from J.C. Ryle. Look at how he defines holiness. I love this definition of holiness. Holiness is the habit of being of one mind with God, according as we find his mind described in Scripture. It is the habit of agreeing in God's judgment, hating what he hates, loving what he loves, and measuring everything in the world by the standard of his word. I'm going to read that again for emphasis. Holiness is the habit of being of one mind with God, according as we find his mind described in Scripture. It's the habit of agreeing in God's judgment, hating what he hates, loving what he loves, and measuring everything in this world by the standard of his word. God calls us to be holy like he is holy. Now, we could spend additional time going through passages and multiple passages and stories of Scripture that would give us further example of what this looks like. But we don't have time for all of that. So I would like to look at specifically two lists, a list of vices and a list of virtues. In the New Testament, throughout the New Testament, in different passages, there are lists of vices and lists of virtues. And these lists of vices and virtues will help us understand the contrast between wickedness and godliness. They will help us understand what it looks like if we are not holy and what it looks like if we are godly and moving towards holiness. So first, the list of vices. Now, I'm not going to read every one of these, but I would like you to look at this list. Read it for yourself. And as you look at the list, which one jumps off the page as being descriptive of you? Coveting, deceit, sensuality, envy, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, Unfortunately, there's another slide of vices. Quarreling, jealousy, idolatry, greedy, enmity, fits of anger. Vices, descriptions of wickedness. And then on the flip side, throughout the New Testament, there are Lists of virtues. And these are some of the virtues that are identified in Scripture that help us understand what godliness looks like. What holiness looks like. Genuine love, generous, hospitable, kind, honorable, peaceable. Which one of these jumps off the page? at you. 
And fortunately, there's another slide of virtues as well. Not envious, not rude, not selfish, not irritable. Gentleness, self-control, humility, meekness. Lists of vices and lists of virtues that help us understand what it means to be holy. But let's be clear, holiness is not mere rule-keeping. Holiness is not just about keeping rules. There's more to it than that. In essence, holiness is demonstrating the character of God in our lives, but these lists do help us understand. Remember, it was Jesus himself who said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. These lists help us understand what holiness looks like in each one of us. So now we've had the opportunity to look at the question, what does God's holiness look like? What does holiness look like in us? Now we're going to turn to the third question, and how can we become holy? How can we become holy? In our text, Peter reveals the way to be holy. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. The phrase here translated obedient children is literally children of obedience. And this is important because this is what's called a Hebrew idiom. Peter was Jewish, and although he spoke and wrote in Greek, he was still Jewish, and his native tongue was Hebrew. So he, he thinks in Hebrew. And here in his writing, he includes this Hebrew idiom, children of obedience. This type of idiom, or these types of idioms, were frequently employed and used in the Old Testament. And when the Hebrews talked about a son of something, they meant someone who was characterized by that thing. Someone whose nature was of that thing. That's why the term son of God is so important. Son of God just doesn't mean a descendant of. It means one who partakes in the nature of. So when Peter here calls us children of obedience, he means that we are ones who partake of the nature. We are obedient by nature. We have been made partakers of the divine nature. Peter is saying here, be who you already are. You are holy, so be holy. And we are holy not because we internally, innately have some natural ability to be holy, we are holy because God has called us and we have put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation. And because of that, God himself in his very nature has entered our lives. And that's why John says those who have God cannot sin. Because when you partake of God's nature, when God's nature is who you are, that nature manifests itself in us and keeps us from sinning. This is the new nature that we received when we received Christ. And you and I, we have that nature as followers of Jesus Christ and it will express itself unless we inhibit it in some way. So now Peter addresses 
potential inhibiting factors in the next phrase. Look what he says. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Here, evil desires refers to drives, ambitions, or passions. Once we were conformed to the world's passions and drives and desires and ambitions, whatever the world was seeking, we sought. Whatever the world was doing, we did. And now Peter here says that we are to conform ourselves to a new ambition. We are to conform ourselves to be like God himself. This new conformity to God himself and it will manifest itself in you if you don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Then the character of God will express itself and his holiness will come out of you. Now obviously there are some things that we conform to. There are customs in our culture that we conform to. There are some clothing patterns that we conform to. There are other things that are not contrary to Scripture that we conform to. That's not what Peter is talking about here. Peter is talking about the ideas and the philosophies of the world, that those are the things we are to reject. Those are the things that we are to put aside. Those are the things that we are to not conform to. And then God's nature that is inside of us will manifest itself in holiness in our lives. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. And then Peter turns and he gives a positive command in verse 15. He says, be holy in all that you do. Another translation says, be holy in every department of your life. In everything be holy, not only in the big things, but in the little things as well. Because if you're not holy in the little things, there is no way that you are going to be holy in the big things. So Peter is here is saying, be holy in all you do, in all you say, in every moment of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, be holy. Be holy in everything you say, in everything you do, everything about you should be, be about being holy. Peter is saying here, just do it. Just be holy. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance and be holy in all that you do. Just do it. Sometimes it sounds so easy, doesn't it? Do not conform and just be holy in all you do. Just do it. It can sound so easy, but it's not easy. In fact, it's pretty hard. This past week, as I was studying, there were multiple times when I felt like Isaiah. I felt like I was face to face with a holy God. And I was a man of unclean lips. Woe to me, I am ruined. And it's almost overwhelming to think about this concept of holiness. I would love to be able to stand up here and tell you that I'm perfect, but I'm not. And my family is here to say amen. <laughs> I'm not perfect. I'm overly competitive. At times I talk too much about stupid things. 
way too much. In the last few weeks, I've raised my voice in anger to my kids. And I've had thoughts that I can't share with you because I'd be too embarrassed. The command to be holy can be overwhelming. So I want to leave you with one last encouragement. The command, be holy, is actually better translated, be becoming holy. Be becoming holy. You see, Peter understands that this holiness, this concept of holiness and being holy is a process. You know, many of us would like to think coming to Christ is some type of Cinderella story, that a fairy godmother waves her magic wand and I go from being wicked to immediately being mature and holy. But then midnight comes and it all falls apart. And we wonder whether we were ever transformed at all. That's why Peter writes here, be becoming holy. It's a process. And if you turn over the reins of your life and you let God take control of your life, and you allow him to sit in judgment over your tendency to conform to the world, he, because his nature is in you, will do the transformative work in your heart, in your mind, and he will progressively make you more and more and more holy. Be becoming holy. Holiness is a process. But it is a process that we must commit to. So my encouragement to you as we begin 2014 together is to resolve to commit to your heavenly Father to pursue holiness. That should be each and every one of our New Year's resolution for this year. Resolve to pursue holiness. Now this past week I thought about a number of action steps or the practical things that we could do to pursue holiness. I'm not going to give you any this morning. But in just a minute, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray that God himself will speak individually to you and will tell you what he wants you to do to pursue holiness in 2014. And I believe he will tell you what he wants you to do.